It's the California Wine Country Podcast with Steve Jackson and Dan Berger. We taste, we laugh, we learn. California Wine Country, brought to you by Bottle Barn, Rodney Strong Vineyards, and Davis Bynum. It is Dan Berger, of course, and our guest today, the return of our friend Nick Goldschmidt from Goldschmidt Wines. Nick, always such a pleasure to have you in here. Mate, it's great to be here too, brother. So Always looking forward to it. Now, you started becoming a winemaker and starting in the wine world in New Zealand, right? That's where you're originally from. Yeah, I left New Zealand in 1982. I started a career in civil engineering. My brother, my sister, my father, all engineers. And That's right. Then I uh, went into organics, believe it or not, back in those early days. And so did a diploma in horticulture and... and uh, so, yeah, companion planting and double digging, which became organics and biodynamics. And then I went to Australia and studied viticulture, which is grape growing. And then I did a postgraduate in analogy at Roseworthy that Dan and I were talking about earlier. But, yeah, it was a, a slow start, but hopefully a strong finish. We'll see. Well, you've done some great work over the years with Goldschmidt. Dan? Oh, phenomenal wines. And it doesn't make any difference whether they're California wines or New Zealand wines. They're all exceptional because Nick's history, his connection with Australia and New Zealand, that's one of my most recent thesis. The idea that if you worked in New Zealand and Australia, you're a better winemaker for it. I think it's a truism. (laughs) I think you can take that to the bank. If you worked in New Zealand and you worked in Australia, in the wine industry, you're a better winemaker because of it. I would preface it by saying that we're probably a little bit more traveled than your average um, winemaker back in the in the 80s and 90s, I think that New Zealand and Australian winemakers always looked offshore for credibility. And so we traveled extensively, you know, for me, California, Chile, Argentina, but a lot of them also went to Europe. And they came back with more knowledge, which they shared amongst themselves. I mean, I would say the camaraderie in New Zealand and Australia is a little bit more friendly than it is in the U.S., although, you know, the U.S. is sort of, it's pretty friendly here too. But I think there was a lot more sharing of information. And, and we were the first sort of generation of winemakers that came through that were not Italian or Yugoslav. And so we, we didn't inherit wineries and vineyards from our parents. We had to go out and do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it, I think that created also the entrepreneurial piece that we sometimes lack these days, I think. Tell us about the history of Goldschmidt Vineyard. When was your first vintage? Well, <laughs> secretly, the if you find my very early vintages, 1998 was the first vintage. You'll find my wife's signature on the back. At the time, I was still heading up Louis Vuitton. I was winemaker at Simi for 15 years, that you may recall, and Louis Vuitton owned Simi. And at the age of uh, 27, they put me looking after blending for around the world for the still wines because Louis Vuitton not only owned Moët Chandon and Veuve Clicquot but they also own Cloudy Bay in New Zealand Cape Mantel in Australia Rufino in Italy Terrasas in Argentina and Roses in Portugal so here I'm a young buck and I got to travel around and, and that really that really got me started into what I do today which which is about 50% consulting and um, but I was a corporate winemaker for 27 years you know Dan is chomping at the well, pit. Go ahead. No, he's just—it's amazing he can rattle those names off so fast. It's like—it's like John Moshita, the the fast talker, the FedEx commercial guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's a there's a reference for you. Well, there you go. Back a few. And he knew the name. Yeah, yeah, that was very good. Uh, Nick, you and your wife—it's Yolan. Yes, Yolan. So Yoland without a D. Phenomenal. Can't run the business without him. Yeah, and you are the winemaker at Goldschmidt. Yes, that's the only thing I do. 
<laughs> the only thing he does, and he's only he's only doing it twenty four hours a day. The only thing I do well when it comes to anything else, I'm not so good. <laughs> and we, consulting, consulting is a is a pretty big piece of what we do as well. We're tasting a 2021 uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Forefathers, Marlboro, and then underneath the front label it says Wax Eye. What does that mean? So. Uh, Forefathers is the first wine that we ever made in, in 1998, uh, as I said, when I was still working for corporations. I was on a plane to Cloudy Bay going, why am I going to Cloudy Bay, New Zealand, make Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc? When you think the best Sauvignon Blanc in the world, Marlborough, best Shiraz in the world, McLaren Vale in Australia, the best Malbec in the world, Uco Valley in Argentina, and obviously Cabernet from California. So Forefathers means the forefather or the best appellation for that variety in the new world. And Waxi is the name of the bird that eats all the grapes. And it's a real problem in New Zealand. The f- sky can have two, 3,000 of these tiny little birds, and they eat nothing but grapes, and they feed for 30 miles. So this is sort of a memorial to every bird I've had to deal with, <laughs> putting it mildly. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know if it was appropriate. But <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> which is different to the next wine that we're going to discuss, because, of course, it's called Singing Tree, which is a... You know, this is a, a tree that's in my backyard covered in birds, but we don't kill birds in New Zealand and in, in California, of course. Right, uh, Dan. Well, I lo- I love New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc to begin with. That's one of my favorite. Oh, ones. this is and just amazing. Nick. Well, it, it is amazing in, in one respect, uh, or more than one actually. But the, the the primary reason is that you can get this sort of similar aromatic in a lot of these wines. I mean, if you go to the Marlboro District, you're going to get a lot of these characteristics. But this wine has one additional layer of spice component that I don't think exists in most of the other districts. And this is from the Brancot district, and you do taste it in some of the highest-end Brancot wines when you go down there, but those wines are never sold here. And I I smelled one of these wines about two years ago from the 2019 harvest, and it was at Brancot, and the wine is really special. And for this wine, you're going to pay less than $20 a bottle, and it's... Pretty much all the other stuff that's coming out of New Zealand is about the same price. This is head and shoulders over most of the others because of that additional level of spice component, which I can't really describe other than to say that it's spicy. Uh, hmm. You want to? You want It's like grapefruit on steroids or something. I don't know. Well, there's two two things to this, Dan. Firstly, we don't sell it to the British. Um, <laughs> that's a very important factor because you know the British discovered you know New Zealand. They discovered Marlborough. They you know the British put this you know stamp on everything, and um, you know they have to bring everything into their own country. They don't create anything in England. Yeah. Anyway, we have a joke, you know, in New Zealand. New Zealand's got the what best food. What mushy peas? Yeah, mushy <laughs> peas. And New Zealand's got the best food in the world but no one to cook it, and the British have got the best chefs in the world but nothing to cook. So <laughs> what, we, <laughs> what, we, what we try to do is, so I don't sell this to the British, and we, and we eat Mediterranean food in the U.S., so I want to have the wine with a little bit more texture, and I do that through Juice Lee's contact. So Brancot is glacial soil. Right across the river is the Rapara, and the Rapara are the river soils. Rapara gives you the asparagus and cut grass and the brancock gives you a little bit more passion fruit and melon a little subtropical and what we do to emphasize that fruit flavor or add that texture is when we press the grapes you know the the slits of the press allow a small amount of pulp and skin to pass through so i leave it in tank for 10 days before i rack and ferment whereas most winemakers will rack it immediately but we don't sell to the british so i don't want to have that steely acidity i want to have more flesh and weight but still maintain that marlborough character which is you know that long 
sunny, beautiful hang time that we get down the there. Difference, so. The difference between this wine and some of the wines from Europe that are made from Sauvignon Blanc also, those wines have less alcohol, and in, in some ways they're more delicate and more and leaner with higher acidity levels. Here's a wine with just the perfect level of, of, of acid, Combined with 13.5 alcohol, which gives you a little bit rich, more richness on the tongue. So it really re- reminds me in the aftertaste just very slightly of Chardonnay. Very slightly because uh, it know, does give, give you that richness. I agree. But uh, it's making love to my palate. <laughs> in the central palate, the, uh, whatever you call it. Uh, I mean, it's laying there and just, oh, God. It's gooseberry, you know, really fresh gooseberries. That's what's in that glass along with the tropical fruit that you... Now, so that takes it... It's difficult for a winemaker to do this, to get two things at the same time, because there's both there's terpenes and files, and you don't want to mix the two up. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he knows all about this Serpines stuff. and files? <laughs> Tonight at Hot Monk. <laughs> One of my favorite bands. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> Glad we got that out of the way early. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah. Well, well, we can change it by the temperature of the ferment. We can invited you files. to come back right. after three weeks? <laughs> yeah. See, this, this really is a very specialized wine. It's, it's, if you were reared in New Zealand, you you understand this fruit. And if you were born here and reared here and then came went down to New Zealand, you learn about it. That's how some of our better uh, Sauvignon Blanc producers in California are learning how to make these kinds of wines. It's not easy. I'm looking at goldschmidtvineyard.com, uh, the website for Goldschmidt. Uh, and it says it's designed to showcase single vineyard source wines from both the Alexander Valley in Sonoma County and Napa Valley, Oakville, those two Appal- appellations. Correct. And then we do a couple of uh, wine, you know, because I work still in six countries and we own land in Chile, New Zealand, Argentina and, and uh, lease land in Australia. So I still do my own projects in each country, but primarily what I do outside the country is consult, yeah. Talk more about your consulting. Uh, I mean, you're consulting in a lot of different places with a lot of different folks. Yeah, so where I mainly consult, well, where I consult is in the Okanagan Valley, southern Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. I'm up there. In fact, I was up there last week. Uh, Tomorrow I go to Chile. I uh, consult for a number of wineries in Chile, all the way from the Aconcagua, which is about two hours north of Santiago, to about 12 and a half hours south. I'm in the I'm in Argentina, mainly between the Uco Valley and the Central Valley. There's Central Valley in Vistalba, Luján, Lonto, Agrelo, Guatechi, Guadalri. But um, in uh, Uco Valley, I'm primarily in Ultimate Vista Flores. I throw out a geek alert here, but it won't yeah. do any good anyway. Is, uh, names of areas I don't even know. <laughs> no, these are these are legitimate places, Dan. I'm sure they are. You know they are. I've, yeah, only, so I've only been next to... time. You only go to flamingo dancing. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. So, and then in New Zealand, I'm primarily in Marlborough and Otago, which is down in Dunedin. And then in Australia, I'm just mainly, uh, I'm in the McLaren Vale, as I said, which is, you know, a little bit south of Adelaide rather than the Barossa to the north. And your kids, five of them uh, are involved in various ways uh, in... uh, Well, four of them are, yes. Four of the five. Okay. One of them is sort of, you know, we're figuring it out. (laughs) <laughs> the black sheep of the family. <laughs> no, he lives in New Zealand. Uh, no, he's uh, no. My, I, I, but I do have one son that's a legitimate full-time winemaker, and then I make wines with my three daughters, which has been an inc- and just I don't know. I could spend hours just talking about what a revelation a father has working with uh, their daughters, and 
between the ages of 13 and 20, daughters don't normally talk to their fathers, but because we have a project together, they do. <laughs> and so blending and, and, and getting them involved sort of in all the way through from, you know, making the picking decisions, making the blending decisions. And then actually, if you go on my YouTube channel, you'll actually see my kids uh, talking about their wines that they make with me as well. But Chelsea, Hillary, and Catherine. Yeah, so Chelsea's a genomist. She's a DNA sequencer. Um, Kate's a vet, and uh, Hillary is doing bioengineering. So they're all um, wow science and uh, but the um, before we get into Catherine, I brought a bottle of Chardonnay, Steve, because I know <laughs> I know that you're all about the Chardonnay, man. Well, I do love it, uh, Dan. On this Sauvignon Blanc from Goldschmidt, it's a 2021. How long would you lay it down? I knew you'd ask that question. Of course, I'm going to ask that. Well, it's three quarters finished, so I'd say yeah. Not the, long. Bottle, the bottle's almost <laughs> empty, so let's not worry. About <laughs> so no. just lean it over yeah, and right, lay it no. down. Uh, I'm one of the few people who really thinks Sauvignon Blanc, with good acidity and good pH, has an opportunity to take on secondary characteristics with some time in the bottle. But I don't put them down typically because they're so delicious when they're young. So I drink them within the the first year or two. But if I laid it down for three or four, this wine would really be interesting, if not completely fascinating, because it would be similar to what it is now, but it would also take on a little bit more of the character of maturity. Would you explain that, Nick? I can't. Yeah, no, the, the, the big difference, Dan, for me is the reductive versus oxidative winemaking. So when you bottle a wine in a screw cap, it's reductive. And we use, and, and one of the things when you open a when you open a screw cap, you should look on the inside to see if it's shiny or not. This one is shiny, meaning it's tin, which means it's got an absolute seal. So after, the, if, it's, if it's white on the inside, it's Cernax, and Cernax behaves like a cork. But the idea about Sauvignon Blanc is to keep it reductive, and so you, you take on more of that oily, terpene element as the wine goes on. So I like to drink Sauvignon Blanc like within the year and then like three years, the, the piece in the middle while it's going through that reductive phase. But okay, I, that I makes can. sense. That's right, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I do the same thing, and I have tasted 10-year-old Sauvignon Blancs that have gone all the way through this process and become really oxidative. But they're very interesting, and they take on the characteristics of a red wine, a very light red wine. Now, that's not anticipated. You're going to look, the color's going to still be white, but the wine does have more texture. Christopher DiMatteo, our Los Angeles producer for this show, has just texted me saying that Nick Goldschmidt has been on the drive in May of 2018, August of 20, and February of this year, 2022. I'm a rare cat, you know. I, I show up every five years whether you want to see me or not. Is that what but you're saying? But he's telling us you've showed up with the same wine four years ago that you've showed up with today. I chose these three wines to bring to you guys, especially today, because they're all at Bottle Barn. Barry Herbst at Bottle Barn has a lot of these wines for sale. California Wine Country, our guest today, the return of Nick Goldschmidt from Goldschmidt Wine. Goldschmidtvineyards.com. I want to go back to your discussion about your daughters. That must be an immense source of pride for you that they're in the same field that you are. Yes, absolutely. And especially during the pandemic. I mean, I had uh, nine people in my bubble, uh, five kids and two partners, and uh, we managed to deplete 1,500 bottles of wine in 18 months. And It was a complete learning experience. I mean, you know, who would have ever thought that I would have the opportunity to live with my adult children, you know? And, man, I was just blown away with, with, you know, despite my 
lack of leadership or whatever you want to call it, how wonderful they've turned out to be. You know, no, I, like, you know that sounds so cool, and I, you know, I uh, wish yeah. I wish I could hang out with my thirty three year old son more often than I do. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So uh, we, you know, we celebrated many stories that were embellished upon embellishment after you know eighteen months of fatigue and a, uh, you know, no, it was just uh, it was amazing. And yeah, I can talk all day, but let, we'll we'll talk about Chardonnay and we'll talk about Catherine. Um, Wine I just poured you, Steve, is, is Singing Tree Chardonnay. This is the 2021 vintage, again under a screw cap. The unique thing about this is there's no clones. Dan can tell you all about the difference between clones and mass selections, but this is an old field mass selection. It was planted in 1978, so it's old vine Chardonnay. We make it about 40% in concrete and 60% in old barrel, but what I do... To get the autolysis character, to get that creaminess, I don't have any malolactic, but what I do is I double the leaves. So I take one-year-old Chardonnay and I actually add the leaves of that Chardonnay into the wine. So we double it up and so we can release the wine a little bit younger and still have that creamy, delicate texture that you would typically get with thyme in a barrel. This is a fabulous Chardonnay, incidentally. California Wine Country, our Wednesday show with Dan Berger, our guest today, the return of our friend Nick Goldschmidt. And California Wine Country brought to you by uh, Bottle Barn, Rodney Strong Vineyards, and Davis Bynum Wines. Rodney Strong is doing their fall maker's market coming up. What better way to spend an afternoon than sipping award-winning Rodney Strong wines and enjoying all the great experiences that Rodney Strong has to offer, and boy, they do. They do so much cool stuff. All right, Saturday, November 19th, is the annual fall market. It sets up on the concert green at Rodney Strong, noon till 4 you can support local artisans and, and start your holiday shopping uh, on November 19th. You can enjoy a glass of wine and some live music. Treat yourself to delicious food bites and mulled wine in case it gets uh, cold on uh, November 19th. That'll help keep you warm. Uh, and they're going to have all sorts of artisans. Uh, and again, start your Christmas shopping. It's a great place and a great way to do it. Go to RodneyStrong.com. Rodney Strong, a proud sponsor of The Drive and California Wine Country, committed to community since 1959. Okay, Harry? Where were we, guys? We were going to talk about this wine, weren't we? We had lots it's, it's, to say. It's called Singing Tree, and it's uh, Chardonnay, and it's fabulous. But uh, the, it, the way this wine improves over the one we had a couple of three years ago here on the show was that this is a better vintage. Um, that was a little tricky. Uh, Nick, you do, do not have to go into detail, but this is a better, it's a longer growing season, a little bit more uh, flavor development in the fruit, but your handling was brilliant because the acid is everywhere it needs to be. It's fabulous. Yeah, I find that, um, I mean, I've been making wine in concrete since my very first finish in 1982. In fact, we didn't even have barrels back then. I mean, we used to dig a hole in the ground, throw some sewer pipes in it, and concrete the bottom, and it was a concrete. You know. <laughs> Suddenly, eggs became cool. I'm like, dude, what's going on, man? Like, we've been doing this. And, oh, but oh, now we've got a name for it. So now it's now it's hip, you know. But um, no, I love the minerality, and, and and what I learned was, of course, everything I I, I do in wine, I've I've um, had a epiphany, and one of them was at a very young age, Zalma Long, legend, as you know. Um, Zalma Long, uh, who was the president of CME when I was the winemaker there, uh, sent me to Burgund- at Burgundy, and I, I'm in uh, Chablis, and, I, and I'm with a very famous winemaker who I will remain nameless, but he went up to the tank and poured a glass of wine and gave it to me, and I'm like, man, this is the best shot I've ever had. What sort of oak did you use? 
he goes, get the hell out of my winery. Because he hadn't used any wood. I mean, Chablis doesn't have any wood. I'm like, oh, my God. So how do you get that oaky character without having any barrel? And so this is when we started learning about autolysis and double leasing and handling and, and, and giving that autolysis you know, fleshy weight without... And then the second thing is when you do that amount of leaves, you don't have to actually have a lot of SO2. And SO2 is the preservative that's used in wine, sulfur dioxide. And so I've delayed and delayed and delayed the amount of SO2 that I'm adding. And so the wine is really, really stable. So if you open the same wine, Dan, you know, five years from now, it's going to be the same color it, because it's already oxidized when it was being made. And so... Yeah, no, I, and I get that vibrancy, and I get that, I, I get that sort of tension. You know, you drink that wine, you go, man, am I hungry it's, or thirsty? It's, it's a minerality. He, he mentioned the word minerality both on the Sauvignon Blanc and on the Chardonnay, and that's one of the reasons why winemakers who spend some time in Australia and New Zealand know more about wine because they typically are not afraid of doing stuff to wine that's gonna, that some people will say is not a good thing to do. This is the way you do it. Yeah, so we try to, you know... I have this thing about terroir, of course, but um, the other the other thing that's really important about where it comes from is the age of the vine and the age of the winemaker. And I know it sounds really weird. I'm a little bit older than the vine. I mean, as I said, 19, 1978, the, the, the vineyard was born in 1978 and was never replanted because, remember, most of the vineyards were replanted in California with phylloxera in 1990. And this one was never replanted because it's on a gold-rich sandy loam. So there's no organic matter. And so the phylloxera couldn't live in it very easily. And then secondly, as an old, as an old winemaker, the, you know, we, 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 may, we may at some point in our life have to run to the bunker. So when we run to the bunker, what wine are you going to take? Because you could be down there for 15 years. And I can tell you what, I can tell you one thing. I am not going to take a wine from a young winemaker because young winemakers haven't made wine for, you know, 25, 30 years. And I'm down there 15, man. That wine better age. So, uh, you know, I want proof in the pudding. So I can show you a wine that I made from this vineyard in 1990. And I know that that wine still lives today uh, through the iterations. So I would say that, you know, this this wine will drink well. Over the, even for a Chardonnay with a screw cap, it's going to drink well for 20 years. Wow. The, the thought of being in a bunker for 15 years enthralled Dan Lay It Down Burger. Well, <laughs> loved that idea. Especially if I'm with you two. <laughs> there isn't enough alcohol. In fact, I'll probably go through the uh, you know the 1,500 bottles uh, in the first three Nick, months. Nick, open the Catherine. We wanted to talk oh, about the yeah, Catherine. Oh, yeah, Catherine. Yes. Yeah, of course, of course. Go ahead, but, Harry. Well, no, I, they, I don't know anything about it. I'm curious of what we've been waiting for it and talking about it. Dan, tell us about it. Uh, about the Catherine? Yeah. Catherine is a 2021, and the trick on, on red wine that's that young is that it needs a lot of air. And right, right now it's going to get about 38 seconds. <laughs> I'm going to change your mind on that thing. No, because 2021 is the thing because, look, you know, the last really, really bad vintage we had in California was 1989. I mean – Only for Chardonnay. Well, yeah, I remember standing in a vineyard with a very famous winemaker who hired me at Simi going, you know what, Nick, I don't think it's ripe. And I came from New Zealand and I'm like, dude, it's not going to get ripe. Because <laughs> it's dropping off the vine. If those who remember 19, you know, in 89, it was a, it was a big uh, Botrytis year. But that was the last really bad vintage. I mean, it's, um, 
it's you know this is why I live in California, man. This is the best appellation in the new world to to make wine and and uh, you no, know easy. there's something that uh, Dan brings up and uh, winemakers like you bring up all the time about acidity in the wines. Uh, Nick, what does that mean, and how? What determines the acidity, and why is acidity so important? Well, there's two. The first thing that you know, the two words that we term, there's three things that affect acidity: CO2, carbon dioxide. So, carbon dioxide is produced when yeast ferments sugar to alcohol. And with white wine, we try to keep the CO2 up a little bit to give that little, you know, that factor where you, you am I thirsty or hungry? Uh, with red wine, the CO2 is relatively low because it goes into barrel and it's aged a little bit longer. Then the other two chemical terms, you know, total acidity, which is a measure of tartaric acid, succinic acid, and a bunch of other acids, tartaric acid and malic acid being the main two acids. That has that sort of saltiness to it. It gives it tension, etc. And then the other term that we use is pH, um, which is pH is a measure of hydroxyl ions, which is OH. Uh, for those who do their chemistry. So the lower the pH, the tighter the wine is going to be. And we have to be... So normally white wine, you know, Chardonnay is, is usually about 3.2 in a cool climate. And the red wine and that, you know, equivalent here in California can be up to 3.7, 3.8 even if it's a high pH year. So... We want to keep that pH down, for me, closer to 3.7 on a red 3.65 because I'm really worried about spoilage bacteria and other things like that. So acid is also sort of a preservative of wine, and um, so that's important too. And then acidity, I look at acidity as brightness in terms of the mouth. And so with Cabernet, you're normally talking about an acidity of about 5, 5.5, in the old days, we would make wines at six, but, you know, unfortunately, we have a California or American palate that drinks Coca-Cola. Anyway, but, um, so we've got to keep the wines a little bit less tight. Steve, you don't say it. I'm looking at Harry Duke. <laughs> Harry Duke, yeah, with yeah, a yeah. Coca-Cola every Yeah, day. no, but, you know, I was, in a, I was in Arizona this morning, well, actually, lunchtime, I just flew in, and I watched somebody put, you know, a large amount of voluminous uh, containers of, uh, of uh, soda you know, and then a six pack of a certain wine. Sort of same <laughs> message, you know. And then um, they, <laughs> yeah, no, very funny. So it's, it depends on the wine, depends on the region, depends on, and, and we're also influenced on the on what's important to us. You know, what do I like to drink versus trying to pitch a wine to a retailer or a, or a sommelier or a wine writer. Um, Dan is probably one of the most refreshing wine writers, purveyors, tasters in California because he appreciates wines that are a little bit mineral, a little bit tighter and, you know, no offense, Dan, but, you know, you're getting older, mate. So your palate has got to be perked up every time. And so drinking wines <laughs> with a bit more tension is very refreshing. And we, as you get older, I think that your sensitivity diminishes. And so you True. need to have these wines with good acidity. And especially with the Mediterranean foods that we're eating, we need to match so when you when you cook, you know if you want to make a young wine taste soft, cook eggplants because eggplant has a lot of tannin. So the secret is that tannin, like eggplant, has a lot more tannin than wine, so the wine will taste sweet. And you should think about that when you when you're cooking, you you, you, you want to have more of it in the food than it is in the wine, and right, especially we, with dessert. We got less 
less than a minute. I think we have 30 seconds. Uh, Nick, uh, we're tasting this Catherine, uh, one of your daughters, Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm not a big cab guy. I love this. Another 2021. I'm no- loving it, too. The black cherry color and the black cherry flavor. Oh, the nose was amazing. Yeah. The talent's incredible. Yeah, and Catherine's, is a, she's number four. She's a twin. And making wine with her is a real, it's a challenge, which makes it exciting. You know, because she's always pushing you, middle child, you know, the BS artist and, you know, the manipulate. You know, middle children are like that. And <laughs> and I'm married to one, too. And, and you know, they and my wife always says, no, 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 we're the peacemakers, the lovers. Yeah, you're manipulating us. I mean, um, so are they making, listening? So, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> oops, oops. Sorry, Yolan. Um, so these wines, I, I want to make the wines fresh and lively, and, and that's exactly what Catherine is. And so when she blends the wine or when she tastes the wine with me, she, I can see her in this wine, and it's all about her personality as well. And the label is when I, when she was two, I traced around her head, she coloured it in, and that's where the label comes from as well. So just a beautiful daughter, beautiful wine, and just love love uh, working with well, her. Well, that is a special. Cabernet uh, Dan He's had had too much wine (laughs) Dick How long would you Let this down (laughs) Well this wine Is structured to be Enjoyed sooner Than later Yeah And if if you put it away For five or six Seven years It will be better But I wouldn't put it away A long time Because the fruit component Is what's making This wine so appealing As a young wine um, if I had this wine to drink very soon, I would decant it. I would put it in the decanter and splash it around for a couple of hours yeah. or an hour and a half right. because you want to open up some of those ar- aromatics. The aftertaste already shows those aromatics, but they're not showing the mid palate just yet. Not showing so, as much as they can. They will. Or will. Yeah. They will. Yeah. Nick Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt Wines. It's goldschmidtvineyards.com. You must check them out. And again, uh, Bottle Barns sells a lot of their wines. I want to go back to the acidity question because, Dan, I overheard your conversation uh, when we were off there, and it's like, I want you to bring in your wine with the highest acidity. Why did you ask for that, Dan? Because too many – look, I know Nick well enough to know that he doesn't have any wines that are deficient in acidity. So (laughs) that's not a problem. Nick, he's one of the best in the the whole world, so that's fine. But in most cases, California wines tend to be a little – deficient in acidity for me and i like to emphasize to our listeners that there's more to wine than instant likability part of it is pouring it with food and without acidity wine doesn't go with food all right then let's talk about pairing this wine the catherine with food i think this is a wine to go with red meat of any stripe you can think of including Steak tartare all the way to, you know, well-done hamburgers or grilled steaks. And this, is a, this is an all-purpose wine. I mean, it has every red meat that you can think of in its, in its line, line of sight. All right. And I, I think that Alexander Valley, and I think Rodney Strong, what a great sponsor they are of the show. But I think, and Rodney Strong is one of these wineries also that um, has a freshness to their Alexander Valley Cabernet. And... I admire what they've done over the years. They've been around a lot longer than I have. And I, if you're eating food, I would drink Alexander Valley. And then at the cheese course, I drink the Napa Valley. Because Napa Valley is higher alcohol, sweeter, uh, a few more carbs, etc. So you're going to have 
the palate is going to be heavier and more tired, so eating cheese with the dessert uh, instead of dessert with Napa Cabernet is more interesting. But when you're eating food, you should drink Alexander Valley because it's got more light and, and some more And that freshness. is probably the best advice anybody's ever given on this show. <laughs> Well, it didn't come from you. I know that. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. Or any of us. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not from us. <laughs> Nick, can you come back on a daily basis? Oh, my goodness. As soon as Dan retires, I'm in. <laughs> Rodney Strong. I love Rodney Strong, but they may not have me. Uh, no, they will. Trust me. And I just have this gut feeling Dan's going to retire soon. <laughs> what am I going to do? Just sit around and drink? <laughs> No, no, Steve's got that job no. already. No. Yeah. It's already taken. Dan already yeah. has that job, too. So. Uh, Nick Goldschmidt, goldschmidtvineyards.com. You were in, what, Arizona? I was in Arizona this morning. I'll be in Chile tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so what, the way to follow me... Hot today, chilly tomorrow. I'm chilly tomorrow, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Hot today, you chilly tomorrow. You know, I was thinking yeah. that, no, but I funny. said, nah, don't yeah, say but, that. So if you want to see where I am in the world, uh, my Instagram is the way to follow me. So each day I put up a... I'll, I'll be, while I'm in South America, I'll be with some pretty famous people down there. And you can follow me on Instagram at goldschmidt underscore vineyards. And you'll see where I am. Each day I'll be posting... Well, I travel. You know, I travel nine months a year, Steve. So it's... Uh, yeah, chilly tomorrow. Nick yeah. Nick told me off air that he made a, a, a carignan. You want to talk about that for a, br- a brief moment? So I had a, um, a young lady who worked with me at CME, and um, her name is Kim Peterson. And Kim inherited a vineyard at the base of the dry, uh, uh, sorry, Lake Sonoma. If you know where Lake Sonoma is, there's a vineyard right before you get to the lake on the left-hand side. And it's an extremely old vineyard. And she called me and said, you know what, um, I've got this carignan. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, I went up there and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, this is a mind-blowing experience because... Most Italian vineyards back, you know, pre-prohibition were planted, you know, mixed varietal, you know, Petit, Zin, Carignan, Maved, Sinso, they're all planted. But this vineyard was planted 100% to Carignan. It's almost 150 years old. It's about 145 years old now. And the, and the vines are bigger than me. So they're like trees. It's dry farmed. It's organic. Wow. And we, we make this wine. We only make, uh, it's called Grace Point Carignan. We also make a Zinfandel and a petite Syrah with the same mantra. Nick Goldschmidt, goldschmidtvineyards.com. Always such a pleasure to have you in, man. Steve, you're a rock star, man. We can't, we can't do wine without you, man. We will see you soon after all your travels. Yeah, we'll check with you your producer. In. See when I'm allowed back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. That's it for us.